God is good. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 27. We're going to talk about the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul. Last week I started this series called Shipwrecked. And I dealt with the prerequisites of Paul getting into the storm. That he, uh, he got into the storm with the right attitude, I think. He had the right, the right prerequisites going into it. He knew that he knew that he was going to give it all for Jesus, and he was totally and fully dedicated to the Lord. So today I just want to look at the storm itself and how Paul handled the storm, and I'm just going to title this, How to Survive a Storm. How to Survive a Storm. And I'm using the storm here, of course, as a metaphor for storms of life that you and I might go through, okay? So how to survive a storm, and I don't know everyone's situation in here, but I'm sure some of you are facing some storms in your life and some difficult circumstances, but I pray this will be an encouragement to you. Amen? And I see some patterns here. I see some actions that the Apostle Paul took in Acts chapter 27 that I think we can take as well, and some of them kind of surprised me. So uh, I think it's going to be good, good for us this morning. Open your Bibles, Acts chapter 27. Let's begin reading with verse 1. And when, when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other, uh, some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Andramitsia, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed... We sailed under the shelter off Crete, of Crete off Salmon, Salmone, and passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. And now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast, probably the fast of the, the uh, Day of Atonement was over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If, any, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Verse 13, now when the, or when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind rose named Eurachlidon. So what's happening here is Paul has set sail with the centurion and obviously a group of Roman soldiers, other prisoners, and then they eventually caught an Alexandrian ship, which probably was a cargo ship, uh, some believe carrying corn, probably carrying corn to the Roman Empire. And so there were merchants on board. There were sailors, obviously, on board. 
There was the centurion and the Roman soldiers on board. And then there was Paul and the prisoners on board. So a mixed bag of people on this ship, all totaling 276 people. And Paul told them not to sail. But they didn't listen to Paul, and they sailed anyhow. And they got into the Mediterranean in the fall. And evidently, the Mediterranean in the fall is prone to nor'easters, and a bad storm arose that Luke here calls Eurachlidon. And they got caught in it, and it got so bad, it got so bad that in verse 20 it says, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So I don't know if you guys have ever been in a storm so bad that all hope to be saved was finally given up, but maybe so. Then at one point it says they just held on and prayed for daylight. They just held on and prayed for daylight. Of course, I'm using it metaphorically. Maybe some of y'all have been walking through storms where you're just like, Lord, let tomorrow come. I don't know about you, if you've ever laid down and thought about that, you know, I'm not a big Beatles fan, but uh, Here Comes the Sun has encouraged me from time to time, because I think about that, and I think tomorrow the sun will rise again. The sun's going to come up again, and I'm going to make it through this night, and I'm going to make it through this storm I'm walking through, because God's going to let it, we're going to come out of this in Jesus' name. Yeah, if you get nothing else today, you're coming out of this. I declare it over your lives. You're coming out of it. Whatever storm you're facing right now, you will make it through it in Jesus' name. I feel that. Come on, look at somebody next to you and say, you will make it through this. You're going to make it. I see three things that the Apostle Paul did in particular here that, uh, were really, that really stand out to me in this, in this passage And I just want to apply them to our lives in a metaphorical way, of course. But let's look at the first thing he does. First thing Paul does is he takes courage himself and he becomes the source of encouragement for everyone on that ship. He received courage from the Lord and then he gives encouragement to everyone on the ship. Look at verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me (laughs) and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, how do you know that? He's like giving a a prophetic declaration here. Well, he says right in verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. How many... Didn't know it, but they should have been thankful Paul was on board with them. Because of his presence on board, God was going to save this whole ship and was going to get them, come on, say it with me, people don't know who they're sitting beside sometimes. (laughs) When you walk in Walmart, people don't know who you really are. You're really from the kingdom of heaven, and you're more than just buying cat food. Amen? You're there... 
on a kingdom mission. But it's really interesting in this, you know, we've seen Paul as he stood before the angry mob in Jerusalem and was arrested, as he begged the Roman garrison leader to allow him to speak to the crowds, and he stood up on the steps and he proclaimed his testimony to the crowds, and they went crazy. And then the next day he stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Then he went before Felix and Festus and Herod Agrippa. Now he's sailing all the way to Rome, and God has guaranteed him that he's going to make it to Rome, and God's going to use this bad experience to get him there to preach to Caesar. And I believe he did it. We're not told that in Scripture, but I, we know he made it to Rome. He ends the, the book of Acts ends with him sitting in Rome proclaiming the gospel under house arrest. And so he's under house arrest proclaiming the gospel. So the whole book of Acts is a, is a victory from a small, broken group of disciples at the beginning who had lost their master to the end to where the gospel is being proclaimed in the greatest capital of the known world at that time. Hallelujah. And God was going to use this experience to get Paul to that. Now, I don't think the storm was his fault. He tried to get him to not sail during the storm. How many know sometimes you end up in storms that are your fault? Your bad decisions or stupid things you've said that got you in a storm. But other times you end up in a storm and it's not your fault. You just kind of walked into it and you ended up in this thing. But God can give you grace in either situation. God can give you grace in either situation. But the key is you approach a storm differently than someone who doesn't know the Lord. You approach a storm as a person of faith, as a person who has the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we face storms, we're not facing them as those who have no hope, as those who don't know the Lord, as those who have no confidence in tomorrow. We face a storm differently. We know that Jesus is on our side, that He's going to see us through this thing. And because of that, then you and I can become the people of faith in the midst of the storm. As faith people, we don't deny reality, but we can stand up in the midst of trouble and say, Hey, it's going to be okay. I believe in God to bring me through this thing. I've already prayed about it, and I've been with the Lord. And I tell you what, God's on my side. Hallelujah. Though 10,000 may fall at my side, it's not going to come nigh my dwelling. I'm going to make it through this storm, and I'm going to be victorious. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I had a friend years ago that was in church with us in D.C., and he was a brilliant guy, and he was an old-school uh, COBOL computer programmer. And I remember when he was part of my church, he lost his job. And he came to me one day, and he said, Pastor, I lost my job. And I thought, oh, no. He said, no, 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 don't be sad. I, I'm so excited. He said, because the last time I lost a job, God gave me a better one. So this time, I just can't wait to see what God's going to give me. That's a perspective of faith. That's a perspective of faith. I, have, I had a friend who pastored in Richmond, Virginia, and he's a real faith guy. And I, I pulled up in his driveway one day in a van I had. I had a big uh, white Dodge van down by the river. <laughs> just kidding. I had a big white Dodge van. And I pulled up in this van in the parking lot one day, and my friend walked out, and he's like, Oh, hallelujah! Oh, hey, Hans, how you doing, man? Good to see you. I was like, what's going on? He said, when I saw that van pull up, I just knew the Lord had sent me a new van because I've been praying for one. And I thought, 
I'm not giving you my van, but I love your faith, brother. That's awesome. (laughs) Come on, that's a faith perspective. We walk into situations differently than anyone else. Hallelujah. Even when you receive a bad report from the doctor, we understand that is fat. those are facts given to us. The doctors are giving us straight facts. But we take the Word of God and we start doing warfare against the facts of what medical science say. We start doing warfare with the words of God. By His stripes I am healed. He sent His Word and healed them. I am the Lord that healeth thee. We start doing warfare by that. Even when you go through a bad financial time, you start doing warfare with the Word. I know that my God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. Hallelujah. When you see your kids going haywire and they're going off and not obeying the Lord, you come back and say, God, I raised them up in the way they should go and I know they're going to come back to it. You told me in Acts 16 that you'd save me and all my household, Lord. I believe they're all coming in. You just lay claim to them because you approach storms differently. You're a person of faith. So Paul approached it differently. stood up in the midst and said, Hey guys, an angel came to me last night. In a dream, an angel came to me, stood by me, and said, You know what? You're not going to be lost. I'm going to save everybody with you, Paul. Everybody's coming through this with you. That's the faith perspective. How many times in Scripture did God tell the men and women of God, Take courage, be of good cheer, Do not fear, you're going to make it. I think about Jairus and when he brought uh, the need of his daughter to Jesus. He said, my daughter's at the point of death. Could you come and heal her? Jesus says, absolutely. So they walk on the way to Jairus' house and they're interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. And she gets healed. Then they go on down and they're interrupted again. Someone from Jairus' house comes and says, listen, do not bother the master any longer. Your daughter's already died. And, and, and what did they do? Just, well, what, can you imagine Jairus in that situation? Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. In the beginning of the book of Matthew, you know, when Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married, and he found out that Mary was pregnant, and he couldn't understand it, an angel comes to him at night and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Go ahead with this, man. Take courage and go ahead and do this thing. When the disciples were on the boat at night and they were in a great storm and Jesus comes walking to them on the water, they're flipped out. They think it's a ghost. They cry out and Jesus responds, Be of good cheer! Cheer up! It is I! Oh, hallelujah! I love that picture that Jesus is coming to us, walking over the storm that we're engaged in, and everybody's talking, and we got everybody's opinion on the phone, and we're texting everybody, and we got everybody's word about what we should be doing in 14 different ways for 14 different people, and then Jesus walks across the storm and says, cheer up! You're going to come through this thing. You be the source of encouragement in the midst of the storm. Oh, hallelujah. I want to say something. I don't preach on this a lot, but we really need to watch our words. Words are powerful. There's such things as word curses. You can speak. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go overboard with this, but I'm just telling you, I believe words have power. I believe our words should align with Scripture. The term for confession in Greek is homologeo, which means to say the same things. 
So I want to say the same things over my life that God has said over my life. And I want to proclaim the same things over me and my church and my friends that God has proclaimed over me, my church and friends. I want to stand up and say, God's going to get us through this thing. You know, COVID, we're going to come through it. And you know what? The church is going to be stronger because of it. Hallelujah. Some of us have experienced incalculable loss. But you know what? We're going to come through it. And guess what? We're going to be stronger because of it. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Some of you have been through some tough times and maybe you've lost family members and maybe going through financial difficulty. I'm telling you what, in Jesus' name, if you're a person of faith, you stay strong. You're going to come through it and in the end, you're going to be better off than in the beginning because God always works out the best for last. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Come on, say it with me. Better is the end than the beginning. Why? Because we're growing every day. Because the Holy Spirit is maturing us every day. Because the Word of God is growing us up every day. We're not the same people we were last year. Thank God. I'm not the same man I was in 2019. I'm not the same man I was in 2018. Hallelujah. I think I'm a little further down. I got a little more faith. I got a little thicker skin right now. Oh, come on. Give him a shout in here this morning. Hallelujah. You be the encouragement. You be the encouragement. Mom, you be the encouragement for your family. Dad, you be the encouragement for your family. You be the one that stands up and says, no, we're going to do this. You say, yeah, but Pastor Hans, I, I just need people around me to encourage me. Well, we, we, we all love that, but sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You know, David encouraged himself. He came back to this place called Ziklag where they had their camp at one point and the place was burned by the, the enemies, the Amalekites, and all of the women and children were taken captive and his men, his faithful men, got so upset at David they were thinking of killing him. And what did David do? He went and got alone with the Lord. He went and got alone with the Lord and the Bible says, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he sought God and he asked, should I overtake this? Should I pursue this troop? God says, pursue and you're going to recover all. And he went and God set it up. He set a, a worn out Egyptian person they had captured as a slave, half dead, and they revived this man and he told him exactly where the enemy was. God gave him the key. Some of the men were so tired they couldn't go. David left part of them there and he said, don't worry, you'll share in the spoil too. And he went down and recovered everything that the enemy, uh, the enemy had taken from him only because he took time to encourage himself in the Lord. Come on somebody, hallelujah. Encouragement works. Somebody say, we can't just live on encouragement alone. Well, brushing your teeth is good. But if you do it every day, it really helps you out a lot in life. Where would that come from? Encouragement is good, but, but you got to have it. And you, you get enough in your spirit, it's going to last you and take you a long way in life. Come on, say it. Be the encouragement. Second thing I see, and I didn't, I didn't see this one coming, but verse 27 it says, Now when the fourteenth night had come and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land and they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. So it's getting more shallow. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rock... They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. 
And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What's happening here? The experienced sailors knew how bad it was. And the sailors are ready to jump ship. When the sailors start jumping ship, it's not good. They realized they were getting close enough to shore if they put down the lifeboats, they could make it to shore. So they were pretending they were putting down the anchors and they started working these lifeboats and Paul saw what was going on. And Paul came to the centurion and said, listen man, if these guys leave, we're all done. We're all done. So the centurion reins them back in, gets everybody back on board and they all make the rest of this journey together as a team. Now, I I don't know. The only thing I could get out of this is that he kept the unity. Paul was smart enough to keep the unity of that ship together, and he's a prisoner. He was the one at the beginning the centurion wasn't listening to. Now he's like, what did you say, Paul? Yes, sir, I'll do it. And he goes and keeps the guys on board because Paul was smart enough. He had sailed enough. He knew if those guys left that all hope was gone. Okay, there's there's two different strains of thought I'm working with right now. One is the sovereignty of God and figuring it out. And the other one is keeping unity in the boat to make sure they all made it to shore. So let me address the sovereignty of God first. Sometimes we think, well, if God has spoken a word, then God's going to do it. It doesn't matter what happens. So God has told Paul, you must stand before Caesar and testify in Rome just as you have in Jerusalem. God has told Paul, not one person of this boat will be lost. The boat will be lost, but you will run aground on a certain island. God has already told him that. Those are prophetic things he's gotten in in visions, words from the Lord, dreams at night, whatever. And some of us would think, well, if Paul's gotten that, then it doesn't matter what they do. He can lay down and sleep for all I care. God's going to get him there. But that's not the way Paul looked at it, and I don't think that's the proper way of looking at it. I think the prophetic works like this. When God gives us prophetic insight, then he also is considering or calculating in the equation what you and I will do to get us to the fulfillment of what he has declared over our lives. So he not only works into the mix the equation, the end of a thing, but he also works in the means of how we will get there. Paul could have stood there and said, don't worry, let the sailors go. God spoke and I ain't worried about it. But Paul was a smart guy. Yeah, God's spoken, but if these guys jump ship, we're sunk. I want you all to hear that because sometimes in Pentecostal church we get so focused on prophetic stuff that we don't realize there's a lot of contingencies built in the equation sometimes. That I have a friend named Randy Hill, and Randy describes a prophetic like this. He said, it's God's dream job description for you. But now to get to his dream job description, you must obey the Lord, and you've got to follow the Lord's leading, and he will bring you into that place that he's declared over your lives. So that's the sovereignty issue. The second thing is keeping the unity. He kept the unity of the ship. And I thought about it in our own storms. When storms come to our lives, the first thing that Satan tries to do is to divide everything and everybody in the midst of the storm. Because everybody starts hollering at one another. And everybody starts blaming each other. And if you, you cause this to happen because I, I didn't have anything to do with this. 
No, you were the one who said something stupid. No, you're the one who left the toilet running and wouldn't fix it. I don't know. We could come up with all kinds of... But you know, the first thing, a storm comes and it tries to divide families. Let me tell you something, husbands and wives, you're the most powerful union that God has created. I don't care what the world says. When a husband and wife comes together, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand, two are better than one. Come on. When you come together as husband and wife, you are strong. So when you walk through a storm, don't split, don't get separated, don't let the unity be divided between you. Because Satan will try to do that in your life. But you come together and you determine we're going to stand together. And we're going to fight this storm together. And I'm telling you what, when I had my wife Jackie on my side, if we were in unity, I felt like I could charge hell with a water pistol. There's nothing could back us up. I mean, nothing could defeat us. I mean, you know, if you come on, y'all. You stand together with your wife or your husband, man. Y'all stand together in prayer. You, you submit this thing to the Lord. It doesn't matter, man. Come hell or high water, you're going to make it. You're going to come out of this thing. You're going to survive this thing. You're an overcomer. Hallelujah. You're going to see it all the way to the end. Doesn't mean you're not going to face storms. Jesus told us in this life you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In all things, we are more than conquerors. Keep the unity. Keep it together. Keep it working because storms come to blow us apart. Final thing that happens in verse 33. I think this is so powerful. Verse 33 says, And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you've waited and continued without food and and eaten nothing. So two weeks, 14 days they hadn't eaten on this ship. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment. For this is for your survival. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. He's the faith man. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken, or he had broken it, he began to eat. I, I may push this and overplay it a little bit, but I know he's, he's doing a, a Jewish blessing taking the bread and breaking it and blessing God. But that blessing is a blessing of thanksgiving. That's why we turn thanks or give thanks when we eat, right? We still do it, right? We thank God for our food. We thank God. It's, it's a symbol of everything in our lives we thank God for. And so we thank Him for our food. And when we do that, it's just a special thing, I think. And I think Paul was doing the same thing. He's giving thanks in the midst of a storm. He's giving thanks after 14 days of fasting in a storm. He's giving thanks, and this ship's getting ready to blow all to pieces. He's giving thanks even though the sailors tried to jump ship. He's giving thanks even though the people wouldn't listen to him. When they, He's giving thanks in the midst of it all. Can you give thanks in the midst of the storm? That's the difference between a person of faith and a person not of faith. We can stand in the midst of the storm and we can thank God. I'm not thanking God for the storm, but I'm thanking God in the storm. 
I'm not thanking God for all the bad, but I'm thanking God in the midst of all the bad. I'm not thanking God for all the loss, but I'm thanking God in the midst of all the loss that I can make it out and I can bless His name. Hallelujah. And when you begin to praise Him and thank Him in the midst of the storm, it changes the atmosphere. Faith comes in and faith rushes in and injects everyone around you with hope. What? This guy can praise Him? In the midst of the storm, surely we can make it. Come on, surely we can make it. I remember several years ago, uh, we had a tornado. We had a tornado warning here, and then there were tor- there was tornadoes sighted. I think in Pasquotank County and Northern Camden County, and we were following it on the news. And me and Jackie kind of got freaked out. We kind of got a little too freaked out, so we started running and grabbing stuff and piling stuff in a middle bedroom, I mean middle bathroom so we could all cram in there. And it's good to take care of yourself. You've got to use your brain, right? We're Pentecostals with a brain. We didn't check our brains at the door, right? We, okay, we're Pentecostals with a brain. But when that spirit of fear gets a hold of you, then it gets, it gets crazy. So we're here running around watching the TV and we're getting everything together. Then all of a sudden from the living room, I heard my daughter Sarah and Alex playing their guitars and singing. And they were getting it, man. Praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost. Woo, hallelujah, Jesus. And we just kind of look at each other like, what are we doing? I'm running around like a chicken with its head cut off. And they're in here in the Holy of Holies, worshiping Him with everything they have. And we stopped and we were like, all right, yeah. Hallelujah. You can worship Him in the midst of the storm. Hallelujah. Worship Him right in the midst of it. Come on, give thanks in everything. Give thanks. You can give praise just like when God spoke to King uh, Jehoshaphat when they were surrounded by enemy armies and they were outnumbered and he didn't know what to do. He did the smartest thing he could have done. He called a prayer meeting. At the prayer meeting, the Spirit of the Lord comes on a prophet. Named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel stands up and says, You don't need to worry about this great multitude for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Come on, that's a word for somebody in here. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And then Jehoshaphat says, Okay, boys, come on. Here's what we're going to do. Get the battle, get get the army in battle array. Get everybody ready to fight. But bring out the worship team first. And let's put the worship guys up front. Yeah, get that horn section up front. Get the percussion section up front. Get the lyres and the harp. Get those guys up front. And let them walk into battle praising God in the beauty of holiness. And they walked into battle praising God in the beauty of holiness. And the Bible says they came around the cliff of Ziz. I just think it's peculiar that Ziz, Z-I-Z in Hebrew means an insurmountable object. How many of y'all have faced some insurmountable objects? And they're coming around that insurmountable object praising Him in the beauty of holiness. Hallelujah, praising Him in the beauty of holiness. I don't know what it sounded like. 
I've heard Jewish praise and it's pretty amazing. Hallelujah. I don't know. Maybe it sounded more like hillbilly praise. I don't know. But they were coming around there. Maybe it sounded like us this morning. Hallelujah. God, you're able to do it. You can deliver. You did it for David. You did it for all of the others. You're going to do it for us. And then the Bible says that the Lord caused confusion in the camp of the enemy. And then Israel showed up and there was no enemy left. But yet all the spoils of war was left. And it took them a long time to collect all of the spoils of war. Because while they were busy praising, God was busy fighting their battle. I want you to hear it in the back row. While you were busy praising, God was busy fighting your battle. Come on, somebody give him a shout. Come on, declare it. While I was busy praising, God was busy fighting my battle. This morning, why don't we just get busy praising and let God get busy fighting our battle? Oh, hallelujah! 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 Come on, just stir it up in here this morning, church. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Some of y'all walking through some stuff, you just need to close your eyes right now and give Him the craziest praise you got in your body. Come on, just give him the best praise you got. God, I thank you. I don't understand it, but I give you praise. God, I feel like his walls are crushing in, but I give you praise. God, I've been through a battle, but I give you praise. I'm in the middle of the storm, but I give you praise. I can't see daylight, but I give you praise. Enemies are all around me, but I give you praise. God, I'm coming out of this thing with not even the smell of smoke on me. God, I'm coming out. I'm going to praise you going in. I'm going to praise you in the middle, and I'm going to praise you on the other side, God. Thank you so much for joining us online, and I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. and He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today. Eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen? 
right where you're at. Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the Word, get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.